The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, uh, welcome everyone. And, and um, so here we are on our ninth Dharma Practice Day of this series, the Dharma Practice Day on the Perfections. Um, and um, for those of you who are new to these Dharma Practice Days, welcome for this, this one here. You're welcome. Even though it's the ninth one, it all they hopefully stand on their own as well. And um, these Dharma Practice Days are meant to be a time for kind of community practice, uh, to explore some topic or theme of Buddhist practice uh, in some focused way in the course of the day, but to do it together with others. Um, uh, much of uh, the way that Buddhist spiritual life develops is in, is in community with other people. And in monasteries, uh, Buddhist monasteries, often in the conversations that monks and nuns, practitioners have together where a lot of the learning and development grows. We, we mirror each other, we hear ourselves, we see what's going on. And um, we hear teachings from the teachers perhaps and then there's a discussion about it amongst people. And um, so here in a kind of our kind of urban, suburban life, People sometimes hear teachings or read, teach, read teachings or whatever and then go off into their life and don't really have a chance sometimes to have the kind of discussions about it and explorations of it and that is, often makes it very rich. So these Dharma practice days are designed to have a variety of different ways of exploring a particular topic and uh, more often than not, uh, it does involve often a chance for you, you all who are here to uh, break into small groups and uh, have discussions around particular focused questions or themes about the day. Um, there's some teachings I'll give, and there's um, some meditation, maybe guided meditation that's included, and it's kind of a rhythm, hopefully, through the day of going, including some meditations, some teachings, some um, chance for questions, some time of, of discussion amongst you all. Um, and... Um, the theme uh, for this year is the perfections, which are ten practices and ten qualities that can be developed within us that are particularly helpful for the unfolding, the development of Buddhist practice overall. And uh, so uh, these ten are uh, generosity. It's helpful if you develop a generous spirit, generous kind of your capacity for generosity, it turns out it's a lot easier to develop uh, Buddhist spirituality overall. Partly because generosity puts us in relationship to other people. Uh, generosity is not meant to be just something you do in your privacy of your own house, but it involves a relationship to other people. And, uh, and I'm very fond of the fact that Buddhist spirituality, in the classic development of it, begins by creating healthy relationships with other people. And that's partly the function of generosity. It's not just going and meditating silently by yourself, but being in relationship in a healthy way. And the second uh, perfection is that of perfection of ethics, of integrity. And that also, it's, you know, it's a very personal thing, integrity, but it's often ethics is something we do in relationship to other people, again, creating those healthy relationships. Um, and then uh, the third is um, capacity for letting go. Then there's wisdom, so we let go wisely, the fourth quality. And then there's um, uh, effort, making effort. There's, uh, when you make effort, it's good to be patient. And so the, the next quality is patience. 
And then there is, um, what's the next one? Truthfulness. And uh, followed by resolve. And then loving kindness, which is a topic for today. And then the last one next month will be equanimity. Loving kindness, again, we're clearly back in, in some ways, back in the world of our relationships uh, to people. Because you can have certainly loving kindness towards yourself, but it's also meant to be something we do in relationship to other people. And part of the value of this, of seeing our spiritual life in relationship to others, not just like a private, individual kind of thing, is that, um, is that I think it speaks to the deep connection that the human beings have to each other and how important that is in our lives. And it's hard to imagine a spiritual growth without it being also uh, uh, somehow happening in relationship to the, the world around us. In Buddhism, uh, this is often articulated in the close connection between uh, awakening or liberation, spiritual freedom, and the arising or the cultivation of compassion. And, um, and in fact, with these ten qualities, the perfections, uh, the ordinary generosity is not a perfection. Perfection is only considered, uh, generosity is only considered a perfection when somehow or other it's informed or integrated or motivated by uh, the path to liberation, awakening, and the expression or the activation of compassion in the world. So if uh, to create, to make one of these ten qualities a perfection, it mean, what it means is that it's integrated with these two qualities. So we see how it supports us and helps us to let go in a very deep way, in a liberating, beautiful way, and it helps us to feel or to express or to act on compassion for others. Um, loving kindness seems closely connected to certainly the compassion part, you know, it's kind of love is kind of, both of them are kind of kinds of love in Buddhism. Um, maybe it's a little bit harder to see how loving kindness is connected to letting go. But uh, if, we, if we hold on tightly to our clingings and our attachments, it, it forms kind of a barrier between our capacity for empathy and our sensitivity to uh, feel and be aware of other people. As the crusts, the barriers of the heart fall away through liberation, through freedom, then the natural sensitivity and natural capacity for empathy and caring uh, begins to operate more, cl- more, more strongly. So that we see, I think most people see that as they become freer spiritually, it often um, translates to also feeling greater capacity for love, for loving kindness, for compassion, for these different beautiful qualities. So today the topic is um, metta and um, it's uh, in our particular Theravadan Buddhist tradition, metta is considered to be the foundation for the other forms of beautiful love. Uh, love is a very important part of this tradition, though often we don't use the word love by itself. Maybe because in English the word love is kind of so vague what it means. I love, you know, I love you know, Thai food. You know, yeah, sure. <laughs> and... Um, but uh, the, um, um, these, these four forms of love that are championed in this tradition, there's loving kindness, compassion, uh, sympathetic joy, and then a certain kind of equanimity that uh, is understood to be a form of love. And, um, but of those four, loving kindness is seen as the foundation for the other three. Um, the goodwill, the generosity of spirit, that, uh, the goodwill that is metta, 
when it encounters suffering, morphs into compassion. Someone suffer, someone, our goodwill takes a form of wishing that suffering to go away. When it encounters someone who is having lots of wonderful success, healthy success and happiness in life, then that goodwill morphs into sharing in that happiness and wishing that happiness continues for them. And then when that goodwill encounters someone who is maybe having something, some kind of suffering, some difficulty in life, where we can't really help them. Compassion does not, we can feel compassion, but we can't really help them. They're on their own, they're making choices of their own, something's happening that we can't really help. Then there's a certain kind of, um, or it's not appropriate to help, but we have to leave them alone to find their own way. Um, Then um, there's this kind of love called equanimity, which I like to refer to as grandparently love. And the reason for that is that um, the grandparent, hopefully, you know, ideally, you know, loves the grandchildren and will take care of the grandchildren sometimes. But um, they tend not often, maybe not always, the ideal one at least, tends not, tends not to have the anxiety of a first-time parent. And a uh, first-time parent, I know from first-hand experience, and, you know, everything can seem so consequential and meaningful and, oh my God, you know, what it's... <laughs> And now, you know, this is the end of everything or something. And then, um, but a grandparent has seen it all before and, you know, the little kid, you know, falls and scrapes her knee and it's really bloody and, you know, it's, that's what kids do. Grandparents have seen it many times and so they do what needs to be done but they don't get all that worked up. Or the kid says, in one, one minute says, you know, mommy, I'll marry you. And then, you know, a minute later, they, with great ferocity, say, I hate you. Now, you know, grandparents have seen all that before and see the coming and goings of this, and so they're kind of like more equanimous about it. The love is still there, but they don't take it, they don't get worked up and caught up in the drama of the moment the way some first-time parents can do. Maybe not any of you, if you were first-time parents, but but I know some can be that that way. So that's why I think of equanimity as kind of grandmotherly love. It's love that doesn't, get caught up in the drama of things is so much. So, um, so loving-kindness is, is, um, is sometimes defined in different ways. Uh, the word is metta, and it's uh, sometimes even translated different ways. The most common in our tradition, in our Buddhist tradition, is to translate it as loving-kindness. Uh, some people like that a lot. Some people um, prefer other words. Uh, I like I like the both words because the loving part uh, refers to uh, the feelings of warmth, of uh, appreciation, of uh, kind of a heartfelt connectedness with other people. The kindness uh, implies that it's not passive, not just a fe- not a feeling of just you know goodwill or love, but it's also kind of wishing uh, or extending oneself for the welfare of other people in some way or other. Um, uh, Tanisha Bhikkhu was here last Sunday and he prefers translation of uh, goodwill because sometimes um, he feels that loving kindness sometimes implies that you're always kind of proactively out there being kind and doing something whereas goodwill it can be a feeling of goodwill of generosity of wanting some wanting wishing someone well but not necessarily gushing over them or not necessarily going out there to do something um, you can be kind of 
minding your own business and feel a lot of goodwill for people. And if they come into your orbit, that goodwill is expressed. But it's not like you go out of your way to be kind or actively are kind, but you, know, you, you, just, you, know, you, you can be quite independent of them, but you receive them into your orbit, into your presence when the need is there with goodwill. But if they don't need anything from you, your goodwill is still there, but nothing's required of you. You don't have to feel, you have to act, act you do something, which I think he felt you had to do if you imply loving kindness. Um, some people like benevolence as a translation. Um, and um, so there are different uh, possible choices. Some people I know just like the word kindness by itself. Um, a, a classic um, definition uh, is to uh, liken it or to compare it to the feeling you would have for a really good friend. And the word metta is a cognate to the uh, Buddhist word for friend. Metta, friend, the word for friend is mitta. And so they come from the same root. And so the kind of, um, the kind of kindness, the kind of goodwill you'd have for a friend is the standard for doing loving kindness, for having this, whatever that is. Um, so it's not romantic loving kindness, romantic love. Uh, it's uh, some different kind. Um, another uh, way of seeing it is that um, 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 another def- classic definition for it or t- description of it, the characteristic of metta is to p- promote well-being. Its function is to prefer well-being. So it's like someone's well-being, whether it's your own or someone else. Um, it manifests in the removal of annoyance. Its proximate cause is seeing the loveliness of beings. Isn't that beautiful? To be able to see something beautiful in someone else. And, um, and I think that's one of the things that uh, I attribute to my meditation practice, my, my Buddhist practice, is that I see people as being beautiful much more than I ever did when I was younger. And, um, and uh, you know, I, because partly I don't, I don't see beauty anymore very much physically but I see something shining through people, even if they don't even know it themselves. And I see so much of it in the world. It's quite, quite wonderful. Um, so the proximate cause is seeing the loveliness of beings. It succeeds when it makes ill will subside. And it fails when it produces selfish affection. So the difference between, there's a kind of affection or kind of love that's common enough that is, uh, that is in, you know, love, is, love, what we call love is many different things. And um, sometimes we say we love someone and it's, it's entangled with lust. I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, I, I would certainly love girls, women. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of love. <laughs> and boy, was there <laughs> desire. I, mean, I think maybe what I was, you know, what I called love was just raw desire that was for my sake thank you and uh, none of you I'm sure had that confusion but but uh, so it, so loving kindness fails when it's confused with or produces selfish affection affection where it's mostly just for me and whatever for myself so it's considered a perfection in that it really is a, a tremendous support for Buddhist practice overall and, um, and, and the, the whole path of liberation, of being free from attachment and clinging, is supported by cultivating loving-kindness. 
Uh, it's, I think it's easier to let go. It's easier to want to not to be attached, to be selfish. If you feel your life uh, connected in a loving way, in a in an attitude of goodwill for this world we have. So it's fairly common in Buddhism to actively cultivate goodwill or cultivate loving-kindness, cultivate compassion. Because we don't have to leave the degree of love we feel, the degree of loving-kindness we feel, to chance, to whatever you know, we bumble through our life. And uh, sometimes we fall in love. Sometimes we feel all this friendship to someone and causes and conditions come together a certain way and, you know, um, you know, sometimes, you know, when we fall in love, there's an English expression of, it's chemistry. We attribute it to chemistry <laughs> as if you have no role. <laughs> just, you know, you put those ingredients together and boom, there's an explosion, you know, and it just happened that that person had the right ingredients and you had these ingredients and, you know, you know it's kind of a mystery how it happens. It's magic or mystery. It's just, you know, I'm not responsible. It just happened. <laughs> When I was, in, uh, after about, I don't know how many years, five, six years of doing a lot of Buddhist practice, I got really interested in trying to understand or just trying to see how a choice worked in my life. How there was choice and feelings and attitudes and beliefs and different things that I did. And one of the interests was to see if I could see the choice behind falling in love. And um, because before I kind of assumed that was just something that you fall, right? You just, it was an accident or, you know, you, there was no choice involved, you just kind of, boom, it happened. And um, so it took a lot of mindfulness, a lot of care and a lot of attention, you know, when I got into situations where that might happen. And uh, with time, I began seeing, yes, there was a choice, there was a choosing towards, to go towards something, a choosing towards to pick something up and be involved in something. It was kind of subtle and very minute or very fast, but there was choices involved. Uh, but yet mindfulness has to be quite strong to see that, oh, that, that you pick something up. And um, so all this is to say that in Buddhism we don't let falling in love or feel love or kindness or loving kindness be of chance, but it's something we can cultivate, we can develop. We can, incre- we can create the conditions, we can choose to create the conditions so we're more likely to feel compassion, more likely to feel love or goodwill, more likely to have a positive attitude towards other people. And part of Buddhist spirituality is to help create those conditions. You might not be able to necessarily automatically on call evoke feelings of love or compassion, but you're more likely to have it because you've created the conditions for it to arise more often. So in this last meditation we did, the big, I, I gave you kind of a guided, little guided meditation to try to set yourself more at ease. And part of the reason for that is that it's a lo- I believe it's a lot easier to feel goodwill, to feel loving kindness, if you feel at ease, if you feel safe, and some of the conditions that help promote it. So if you could feel more at ease, then I felt uh, maybe it would be more interesting to do that reflection we did on the different kinds of love you've experienced and which were more satisfying, more meaningful for you. Um, so was that, uh, was that something that was interesting for you? Was that something that produced some refle- interesting reflections to do that? Enough people are nodding their head yes. So then, then, because of that condition, because of that condition, uh, uh, I would like to um, for you guys to have a chance to discuss that a little bit and, uh, and hear hear each other and hear what came out of that for you, each of you. And um, so, before we take a break, and some of you, this kind of day, time of day, people's coffee is beginning to have an effect. So, you, you might need to slip out, to 
you know, as part of the group if you need to, but we'll take a break after the groups. But what I'd like to suggest is you form groups of four people and, um, and uh, share with your group uh, what came up for you uh, or what, what you're comfortable sharing is what came up for you. You don't have to touch, share things you're uncomfortable saying. But what came up for you in that reflection about um, uh, uh, the different forms of love that you've known in your life and particularly which ones were most satisfying, most meaningful, or most peaceful or you know, most something you know, it's, uh, for you that uh, you really valued the most. And what were the characteristics of that? What, how did that manifest? What were the conditions that allowed that? What did that feel like for you? Uh, what value that, does that kind of feeling have for you in your life? Does that give you something to enough? And um, don't feel like you have to answer the question like there's a right answer. Um, different people respond or hear different things in these kinds of questions. So feel free to find your own way uh, out of those questions into your life. Uh, make sense? And then share yourself. Share that. So find, find three other people to sit with. And uh, we'll take probably about um, uh, 10, 12 minutes or so. Uh, I'll, I'll get a sense of how the conversations are going. But take 10, 12, and then uh, just... So, um, <clears throat> so before we take a break, um, uh, maybe it'd be nice for us to hear a little bit from some of you what that was like. and Any surprises, any discoveries, anything significant seems like it'd be interesting to share to the group, given that I wasn't part of any of the groups, you know, get a sense of what, was going, what happened. But also, um, probably each group had a little different discussion, so some way of kind of, of um, spreading the wealth, in a sense, by hearing a little bit how it, something, but... Uh, in our group, there was an overwhelming theme, which was that you need to feel safe in, lo- um, in love, and that there should be, and that you feel safer when there are no expectations or demands either way. And so it's kind of a flowing give and take uh, with no demands. Great, thank you. So in our group, uh, there seemed to be a consensus that it was simpler, uh, more easeful to experience loving kindness with strangers because (laughs) with people you know, (laughs) your children, your, in my case, you know, husband, whatever, uh, with family, it's, uh, there's all this other stuff, you know? I mean, of course, you love them and you know you do and you are most likely, you're firm in that, but if you talk about the ease and um, the more simplicity For example, helping a stranger spontaneously, there's no judgment on their part. They're probably surprised and pleased, you know, so there's all these good feelings back and forth. And that moment is very simple and pure in a way without a lot of package. Great, thank you. Back there in the tier. So for me, 
uh, I can't speak for the group, it's just my experience, um, is that the first thing that came to mind is on the surface, the people I feel most at ease with are the people I have no friction with, are the people perhaps that have like good people skills that don't just rub you the wrong way, all like families just get in your face, that sort of thing. But what I realized is that the most satisfying ones are the ones you act, they actually, uh, that I had an opportunity to be mindful of my behavior, my reaction, when I was reacting negatively to that person, that I realized it's something that I wanted to change about me. It's not about them, it's more about me. Mm. And when I did make the change, the relationship changed completely. Beautiful. So it was satisfying, most satisfying to me in that sense. And part of what was satisfying was letting go of, these, of, of the complex you had. Exactly. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, I was noticing just the ability to be with the person however they are. And so it didn't matter so much um, how they were as being with them with the attitude of not needing, not pushing away. So a feeling of love that had no need as part of it and no need to avoid, just, just being present. Nice. Behind you. Uh, we, uh, two points. Uh, one was, I think we found it easier when we thought of goodwill instead of loving-kindness, that loving-kindness seemed like a stretch sometimes. <laughs> um, and that also we talked a little bit about chemistry and about trying to figure out specifics of what's in that chemistry. What is it that attracts you to that person or um, repels you, I suppose. Thank you. Uh, speaking just from my own experience, I'm glad you brought up that question uh, about examples of loving kindness people. Yeah, I struggled with, with, with that question. You know, went through family. Okay, that was difficult. You know, I think it's like a lot of baggage with personal relationships. Even with uh, any type of personal relationship, I noticed that there is baggage, so it gets in the way. <clears throat> and uh, I work with. Uh, in general, my work is loving-kindness. I'm a body worker. I teach meditation. I do Tai Chi. I do stress management. But more often than not, even the most needed clients that are in pain, I could do the work and be loving-kindness, but it's hard to feel loving-kindness to those people, even though they're really in need. But when I started teaching uh, inmates and people in uh, a halfway house, uh, for that population, it was easy for me to be loving and kind without any type of uh, judgment. Oh. And it seems to me that it's a matter of how much compassion I have towards that person it is directly related to how easy it is for me to be loving and kind. Mm. It's like that compassion part is really important. Mm, nice and beautiful. And so for some reason for you, uh, inmates and people in halfway homes elicit a different kind of compassion. Oh, definitely. And the compassion of someone who's physically in challenge and they need a massage or something. Right, or even if they're in great pain, pain. chronic pain, which is what I specialize in. Yeah. So that, that's not, there's a different kind of compassion then. So the chronic pain doesn't elicit the same kind of compassion as for someone who's incarcerated. 
Right. Uh-huh, that's it. I think it's uh, uh, the, the population of uh, in, the incarcerated ones and the ones that are in a hope, like a uh, halfway house, has a lot to do with me understanding that a lot of them have been abused, mm. right, in a lot of different ways. So there's, so there's that kind of gets to me. So there's a compassionate part that is very strong about that scenario. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that some of these people don't even have that background, but I just embraced the whole thing <laughs> that way, and uh, it works. <laughs> so that was a very interesting uh, thing I learned just right in the beginning. Great. And I was afraid I was going to be bored today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. We'll do, we'll do one, one more. So our group, I don't want to say elderly, but older, and I think <laughs> a little well, wiser. We're all older than and, somebody. <laughs> and, and so I think we related to, to your uh, use of the word choices, yeah. that as we've gone through our life, we have seen the choices we've made, and then we've specifically decided to make the kind of choices like you're seeing today, that that you could reach into yourself and find compassion for an area that doesn't come naturally to you. Uh-huh. And so we talked about those choices we've made. Beautiful. To increase. That's a great, great, great. It's a, and that's a beautiful thing, the idea of choosing to reach into ourselves to have compassion or loving kindness where it's not easy, where it's not obvious, and maybe even where it's counterintuitive or where some, some of the messages we get from other people is you shouldn't do it for that person. But some, something, something inside of us wants to come forth from there. Nice. Well, thank you very much. And um, so um, uh, there are different kinds of love, different kinds of ways of feeling. And by beginning to differentiate between the different kinds, it's possible to uh, uh, cultivate or develop or highlight or value particular forms of love that are the ones that are most valuable for you, the ones that you most want to develop or most want to have be a bigger part of your life. If it's all one big mush, then, you know, you can't, you know, you're not going to have as much choice around which direction you're going to develop and highlight. And so the cultivation of loving kindness or metta or goodwill is a particular subset of the wide world of the English word love. And so to begin kind of identifying something inside of us, ourselves that positively corresponds to this word metta is uh, one of the tasks of cultivating more metta. Um, you don't want to get too hung up in what the Buddhist definition technically exactly is, but, um, I, you know, because then you might not find yourself endless, endlessly kind of, you know, trying to match someone else's definition. But, you know, you get kind of in the general idea of what loving-kindness is in Buddhism. And, um, and then what, what can you find that course best corresponds to that from yourself, from your own experience? So you have your own personal reference point for something that you're cultivating and developing. So hopefully that exercise pointed, pointed, you, pointed you in that, that direction. So let's take a break. And... Um, Let's start again in here at 11.15.